Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books, and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome back to day number six. Today we're going to explore the Golden Heights. First, we're going to go to something called Dado Observation Point. It's an overview to the borders with Lebanon. And then we're going to drive to Tel Dan and visit the fortress and speak about the altar and the tribe of Dan teaching. And then after that, we're going to go to something called Caesarea Philippi. We're going to learn about the Roman temple of the God of Pan. And then we're going to end our day on Mount Bental in the upper Golan Heights to have an overview with the borders of Syria. And then we're going to head back to the hotel. So this is what to expect on day number six on touring. We'll be leaving the Kibbutz Hotel and head up to the Golan to the north. And to remind you that the group is staying two nights in this hotel. We already stayed in day number five and this is the second day, day number six before heading later to Jerusalem for another three nights. And this is a very nice kibbutz called Kibbutz Kinosar because of its location on the Sea of Galilee. And most of our groups like to stay there. And this kibbutz is well established for tourism industry. And they have great varieties of uh, facilities like a gym, also like a swimming pool. Even people like to swim on the lake too. They have good varieties of food, especially the breakfast. And now, after all the group finishing breakfast, it's 8 a.m. We are heading on the bus to leave for the day. So we will drive through road number 90 for around one hour, all the way up to the north. And I'll start my day by asking the pilgrims in the bus to sing a worship song. And this worship song everyone knows about is so famous. This is the day the Lord had made. But what is different, I will teach you this worship song both in Hebrew and in Arabic language. And there is a specific reason why I will teach this song in different languages. Because I want the group to hear uh, the sounds of Semitic languages. You know that in the Middle East, we have like 11 Semitic languages, such as Swahili, Aramaic, Phoenicians, Maltese, Hebrew, Arabic, Amharic, etc. Anyway, we will start singing in English first. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's Psalm 118, 24. And I can't sing. I'm not so gifted in singing because if I sing... I think a storm will take place at the Sea of Galilee. So I will ask one of the groups. Usually there's a worship leader there. So I ask from anyone is gifted, they can come and 
help us in singing this worship song and we start singing this is the day this is the day the lord has made i will rejoice and be glad in it i will rejoice and be glad in you see how much terrible i'm singing so anyway the group is singing imagine the group is singing in the bus and after they finish singing i will start explaining jesus says that we have only one day and this one day is about the moment we have to enjoy and rejoice in the moment and we should not be anxious for tomorrow even if it's gone badly but every day is a new day is a refreshing day so if there is something that bothers our conscience from the past we have abundant grace and power to bring it in order for today and the worship song says let us be glad and rejoice each day because it's the lord who made that day and not us and he is faithful and takes care of that day so let me teach you this worship song in hebrew to explain myself more what do i mean by that in hebrew this is the day means zehu hayom again repeat after me zehu which means this is hayom means the day again zehu hayom means this is the day elohim bara which means god not made created elohim you know what's elohim is god bara is created by the way bara is the same word <clears throat> used in genesis elohim bara et haolam god created heavens and earth in genesis chapter one and let us hear it again zehu hayom elohim bara which means translation to english this is the day the lord not has made the lord created you see the mistranslation from hebrew originally then to english and then it continues in hebrew let us rejoice and be glad in him now the english says let us rejoice and be glad in it and in english people think i will rejoice all the time so they're singing it wrong it's not i will rejoice the original one is plural we will rejoice it's about the community it's not about the individual even when westerners sing these worship songs it's all about them it's not about me or about you it's about god so it says we will rejoice the community will rejoice and be glad in him the original hebrew not we will be glad in it not in the day we'll be glad in him the creator of the day anyway i hope this makes sense Elohim so the hebrew words have much more depth to the song and also also it have layers of understanding of this worship song 
So let me teach it also in Arabic. It will be fun for the people to hear the Semitic language and worship this worship song in different languages. In Arabic, it says, Inna hadha al All of that is, this is the day. Again, repeat after me, if you like. Inna hadha, which means this is, al is the day. Again, inna hadha al Rabbuna sana. Rabbuna, you know what's Rabbuna, from Rabbunai, Rabbi, Rabboni in Aramaic, which means God, the creator, the one who is full of knowledge, which is God. Sana also means created, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the same root. Again, in Arabic, Inna hadha al-yawm, Rabbuna sana. So I'll challenge the group to sing it in Hebrew and then after that to sing it in Arabic. I know it's very hard for them, but I keep teaching them. And then I'll try to have them to learn this worship song in Spanish. There's always someone who will worship it in Spanish or French or German or any language. So this will be fun to try different languages in the bus. So anyway, we're driving all the way to the Golan Heights and the theme today is about the Roman Empire. Because we'll be in the area where Herod Philippi ruled the Golan Heights in the first century. So we're going to learn about Rome. You have to understand Rome was the largest city in the world in ancient times. I'm talking around 100 before Common Era BCE till 400 AD. We're talking about 500 years of history. We're speaking about New Rome which is Constantinople and the empire population grew up almost to 70 million inhabitants you have to understand 70 million inhabitants in the first century is a large number you have to understand the Roman Empire roughly 20% of the world's population at that time so it was huge empire and the Roman Empire was among the most powerful economic cultural, political, and military forces in the world of its time. It was the largest empire of the ancient history era and one of the largest empires in the world history. And I'm not making a correlation and at the same time making a correlation to the United States, okay? The Roman Empire reached its peak under Emperor Trajan. He ruled from 98 to 117 AD. And it covered 5 million square kilometers. It's like 3 million miles around. 31 million miles. A territory composed of like 48 nations. And this empire lasted so long and its influence till today. For example, the Greek language, the culture, the religion, the inventions, the architecture, philosophy, law, and forms of government on the empire's descendants, we can see it till today. Even in the European medieval period, attempts were even made to establish successors to the Roman Empire, including, like, later the Crusaders. 
and by means of European colonialism following the Renaissance and their descendant states, Greco-Roman culture was exported on a worldwide scale, playing a crucial role in the development of the modern world of today and the United States and Europe. And they inherited the Roman way of thinking, affected even to an extent, to a large extent, the Western church's mindset today. Let me explain for you what the word Golan means. It comes from the Aramaic, originally, Yajul in Aramaic. Yajul, which literally means the blowing of the wind, Al-Jawalan, Lil-Riyah. I'm speaking like Aramaic. Al-Jawalan, Golan, Jawalan. So the blowing of the wind. Because the Golan height is high and open areas and the wind blows all the time there. And it's mentioned in the scripture as a city of refuge. The Golan in the Bashan. So this is the area of Bashan. Let me read for you about the cities of refuge mentioned in Deuteronomy 4.43. The cities were these. Bezer in the wilderness plateau for the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilad. We know which where is Gilad today, it's towards the east of the Golan Heights, the Jordanian area, for the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan for the tribe of Menashe. And according to the Bible, an Amorite kingdom in Bashan was conquered by an Israelite kingdom during the reign of the Israelite king Og. And throughout the Old Testament period, the Golan was the focus of a power struggle between the kings of Israel and the Aramean kings based in modern-day Damascus. So the war we are talking about, what's happening nowadays, is not a recent war between Damascus and Israel, it's an ancient war. Even we can read about it in Numbers 21, from verses 33 and 35. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edri. And Jehovah said, Fear him not, for I have delivered him into your hand and all his people and his land, and you shall do to him what he did unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. So they smote him and his sons and all his people, until there was none left him remaining, and they possessed his land. So there was a power struggle all the way throughout the Bible. Why? Because of two important things that never changes in the history of this world in the Middle East. Number one is water. Water sources are important in the Golan Heights. There are three rivers. Two of them come from Syria and one from Lebanon. Litani from Lebanon and Banias and Dan from Syria. That feeds into the Golan Heights and forms the Jordan River. One-third of the water that comes to Israel is controlled by the Golan Heights. So water 
is number one important and number two important is security it's an elevated rocky plateau and it's a vantage point to Syria and Lebanon and who controls the Golan Heights can control the gateway to Israel and no wonder why it was a power struggle in history who controls this area so the plateau north to south is 40 miles and east to west 27 miles we are talking only about 500 square miles it's so tiny okay the Golan Heights ranges in elevation from 9,232 feet on Mount Hermon in the north to about only 1,300 feet in the south of the Golan Heights, which around the Yarmouk River and the borders of Jordan. We are talking about a large area with volcanic basalt fields that stretches north and east. And in the north, we have the limestone bedrock of Mount Hermon that is separated from the basalt volcanic stones of the Golan by a valley. We call it a Nakhal, Valley Sa'ar, Valley Sa'ar. It's important to remember this point. And on the west, we have the Khula Valley and the Sea of Galilee, west-south. And the east, we have the Rakad River controlled by Syria. And in the south more also, we have what the Bible called the land of Geshur and bounded by the Yarmouk River and the biblical land of Gilad, which is part of Jordan today. And this is where also have the story of Jacob fought with the angel and his name turned to be Israel. And you know what Israel means in Hebrew? Ish, Ra, El. Ish means man, Ra means strong, El means God, the strong man of God. So names have identity, names have characters. So this took in the southern borders of the Golan Heights, nearby the Jordan. Also, you have to understand that there is a lot of tourists and a lot of locals who like to go and explore the area. Because there are so many attractions and so many options to do there. You know what I call that area? Men in Texas. Because it's the land of cowboys. And we have like, uh, we can see cattle there, a lot of cattle. So there's a lot of activities. There's hiking. Uh, you can do canoeing on the Jordan River. You can take horse rides. You can have jeep rides. You can enjoy the wineries. The region have a great beauty, which like indeed feels like another country. This is why I call it a mini Texas. Now the Golan Heights is divided into three major parts. The lower Golan, the center Golan, and the upper Golan. Let's talk first about the lower Golan. The lower Golan have a lot of valleys full of scenic the views and valleys and highs, little Druze villages inside them. And there's not much rain in the lower Golan, and it's not much good for agriculture. We're speaking about 1,200 to 1,300 feet above sea level. But there's a lot of kibbutzes in the lower Golan. You know what's a kibbutz. A community of Jews live together. Kibbutz come from the Hebrew word kvutsa, and literally it means a group of people living together and sharing everything 
So if you live in a kibbutz, it's so much like the ideology is so helpful to support the community. And there are around like 450 kibbutzes in the land of Israel. Anyway, and most of the kibbutzes run the land and the wineries. And Katsrin is the capital of the Lower Golan. It's an Israeli settlement organized as a local council of the Golan Heights and known by the capital of the Golan. And is the second largest town after Majdal Shams, which is a Druze town. And the largest Jewish population in the Golan lives in Katsrin. In 2018, it had been a population of 7,500 people. And we are driving now through the center Golan Heights. And as you see, we have the Khula Lake is 250 feet above sea level. And it's 15 miles by seven miles. And we are talking about 100 square miles. And the Khula Natural Reserve is one of the remaining area of a nature oasis in the north of the country. And it's a reminder of how much the land of Palestine looked in the late 19th century. There was a lot of marshlands and swamps that formerly occupied most of the area from the Mediterranean Sea all the way up after Caesarea, all the way up to the north to the Golan Heights. A lot of swamps. And there were a lot of malaria also, a lot of diseases. So the Khula was declared a protected area in 1964. You know that this lake was mentioned in the Palestinian Talmud, or what we call the Jerusalem Talmud. It describes seven ancient seas that surrounded the land of Israel. Included among these is the Sea of Khula. It's a huge body of water that once occupied the Khula Valley. And in the 1900s, this big, big area was full of swamps and marshlands and almost covered an area of 6,000 hectares. And draining the swamps and the Khula Lake became a priority for the Jewish settlers who arrived in Palestine in the late 19th and early 20th century. The reason for wanting to drain the Khula were first to employ the land for agriculture purposes. And there was also a need to eliminate the malaria that was endemic in the swamps at that time. And the drainage program was very highly successful. But however, there was a very high price to pay. Many migrating birds ceased nesting and we lost a lot of flora and fauna and it never like can recover back again and there are several mammals and species moved away while others invaded also the area in high number so there was no balance in the ecosystem and it was declared a protected reserve in 1964 and after they realized that it was like playing with the ecosystem of the bird migration and affected a lot of animals now, like they try to make it back alive. So there are new pools connected to a network of drainage channels were constructed. And there is a constant monitoring of water levels and quality was introduced back to help 
to reconstruct again, like in 1978, they tried to bring life back again to the Hula Lake. But I, uh, we know that they cannot recreate it again as it looked before. But anyway, do you know that when Jesus and his disciples went from Galilee up to the Golan Heights to Caesarea Philippi, probably they sailed on the Hula Lake. Of course, it's not mentioned in the Bible, but most scholars believe that Jesus and the disciples used this lake also to sail on it, to go to the Caesarea Philippi. And you have to understand that the Hula Lake is rich, so rich. There is an estimation of 500 million migrating birds passes through the Hula Valley every year. 500 million migrating birds, yes. And only one third of the birds make the trip from north to south because of storms, pollution, human interactions, and like we are talking about 550 species of birds, such as cranes, white storks, potted eagles, pelicans <laughs> that eat all the fish. Remember I told you they reconstructed some pools? So the pelicans come and they eat the fish. But they try to install bombs. The sounds of the bombs will scare the birds to run away and stop eating the fish. But within the years of birds' migration, the immunity of the bird system got so much strong and the birds are not scared anymore from the sounds. So they got to a realization that they need to cover it with nets. So in high season of migration of birds, you can see these pools covered for nets with nets to protect the fish. Now the third section is the Upper Golan Heights. It's a key source of water supply to the land of Israel. You have to understand one third of the water comes from the Golan Heights, from the three rivers, Dan, Panias, Hasbani. And we are speaking about like, Upper Golan Heights is really good for the agriculture. There's a lot of wineries, we call it Napa Valley of Israel. Have looming mountains and really, really, really like a great, beautiful landscape. Different than the rest of the country. And also, because it's very high, we have seasonal snow. That attracts a lot of skiers, especially in winter months on top of Mount Hermon. And there's a very nice views of Druze villages surrounded by cherries and apples, orchards, and all the beautiful agriculture. There are more than 20,000 Druze living in the Golan Heights in five Druze villages. Actually, these five Druze villages originally started from five family members. And there are more than 30 Jewish settlements in the Golan Heights, with an estimation of 20,000 population. And also most of the Jews live in the kibbutzes and they work in agriculture. Now we are passing by a town called Kiryat Shmona. It was established in 1949 on the site of a former Arab village called Al-Khalisa, whose inhabitants had fled after Safed was taken by the Haganah during 1948 war. And literally the town 
called Kiryat Shmona literally means the town of the eight. Shmona in Hebrew means eight. And was named after eight Jewish militia men commanded by Joseph Trumpeldor, who had fallen in the 1920 battle of Tel Chai. It's a very famous battle there. And it was named by Kiryat Shmona in June 1950. Now, in modern days, recent history, the population of Kiryat Shmona reached 25,000 people, the majority of whom are Jews, particularly of Moroccan origins, located nearby the Israel-Lebanese borders. So Kiryat Shmona is a border city, and we are still driving through road number 90, the longest road in Israel, and we're heading all the way up to the north, to the most Israeli northerly town called Metula. And it was one of the string settlements that Jewish pioneers established in the Upper Galilee. And like any other like uh, settlement, it was based on agriculture because it's so fertile. But it continued to existence through the financial support of Baron Edmund de Rothschild, which helped so much in funding these settlements. Today, the nickname for this Metula, we call it Israel's Little Switzerland. And this town is also famous for something called the Good Fence. So we are driving through a roundabout to go to Dado observation point. But if we continue from here, there's a border crossing between Lebanon and Israel that used to be there till 2000. And when, you know what happened in year 2000 with the withdrawal of the Israeli troops from South Lebanon. And in those good days, it's called the good fence. <laughs> Lebanese villagers were allowed to pass through in order to work for agriculture. And these days the borders are today camouflaged and netted and padlocked so no one we can't go there but we are heading to Dado observation point which gives us an excellent perspective on the topography of the Golan Heights and to look at Lebanese villages so we are standing at Dado observation point and looking at Lebanon and you have to understand Lebanon is a home to two of the world's oldest cities in the world Babylon and Sidon and Lebanon is hemmed by Syria and Israel on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And because of its strategic location, it has been part of many conflicts with Syria and Israel. And Lebanon is uniquely composed of Shi'i and Sunni Muslims, as well as Christians and Druze. Even there's a variety of religions because of the topography that lives and surrounded and closed in Lebanon. The official languages are Arabic, French, English, and Armenian. So the, this diversity has made Lebanon a place of refuge for minorities throughout the region and throughout the history. And I would like for, uh, to share with you more information about the Shiites and the Sunni Muslims for you, for the West, to understand why we have a conflict in this part of the world. Muhammad was born around 570 AD in the Arabian city of Mecca. Muhammad became an orphan at age six and he was raised under the care of his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. And at age 40, he reported 
that he was praying in a cave and he was visited by the angel Gabriel and he received his first like revelation from God and around 610 he started to teach and preach about this revelation to the public proclaiming that God is one <clears throat> the complete submission to God and this is what Islam means to submit to God and this is the right way and that he was a prophet and messenger of God in December 629 after eight years of like fighting with the tribes Muhammad gathered an army of 10,000 Muslims converts and marched on the city of Mecca and the conquest was largely like uh, conquerors and Muhammad seized the city with the bloodshed and in 60, 632 a few months after returning from the pilgrimage from he fell ill and died and by the time of his death most of the Arabian Peninsula had converted to Islam and here after his death the question rose who gonna rule or who gonna inherit uh, the Muslim religion after him and there are here comes Ali ibn Abi Talib says I have to lead the ummah I have to lead the nation I have to lead after Muhammad because I am inherited from his blood I am his brother and this is the Shiite Shia literally means Shia literally means the ones who have the right for the religion and then came the Sunni and his followers of Muhammad like Abu Bakr and if Abu Bakr said he's from the Sahaba which means the friends no we have the right to follow the religion and to take the religion to us and started conflict between the Sunni and the Shiite so the Shiite have the, the inheritance and they should take it and the Sunni are the followers and the Sahabi and the friends but what happened the Sunni the followers had killed Ali and all his sons Hassan and Hussein and took the religion from the Shiites and this is what in short how the Shiite was formed and the Sunni was formed and you have to understand that Shiites Muslims are minorities and they are such as Iran is Shiite such as Lebanon have like uh, Hezbollah is part of the Shiite so when you understand the history behind it you understand why the Shiites are extreme and the Sunni if this is the majority of the Middle East like in Israel and Palestine there are Sunni Muslims and for example Saudi Arabia are Sunni Muslims so they are much much more moderate anyway I just gave you a little background about the difference between the Shui and the Sunni in order to understand why we have conflict in this part of the world and let's get back more information about Lebanon and Lebanon have is been like a very hard conflict turmoil place because of the effect of the Shiites over the Christians there and it had been for so many years without a president only recently Michel Aoun became a president and a commander
Lebanon have a long history of conflict and there was a civil war like in Lebanon from 1975 till 1990 and also Israel and Syria became heavily involved and Hezbollah was formed during the time and that is like I'm relating modern history to ancient history so Hezbollah is part of the Shiites okay and they control now most of Lebanon and Hezbollah and Israel have been ongoing conflicts till today and more recently like Lebanon has taken roughly 1 million Syrian refugees which make up of 30% of the country's population so the refugee crisis has strained the economy of Lebanon so nowadays Lebanese are suffering from poverty due to lack of jobs unemployment and the numbers are increasing and increasing and increasing and imagine you're living without electricity or without water and many hours of each day and the government is so much corrupt the politicians are so much corrupt and they're fighting about who can get the biggest cut and today the Christians are so much suffering in Lebanon and I don't know if you hear in the news what's happening there there's a lot of riots the people are fed up they went to the streets and start to demonstrate because it's not fair to live like this the bottom line it's a mess today in Lebanon and the Christians uh, are paying the price especially the Maronite communities and what we see the villages here are Maronites you have to understand 54% of Lebanon are Muslims as I told you divided between Shiites and Sunni and 41% are Christians this nation is home to the highest concentration of believers in the Middle East it's the only Arab nation that promotes religious freedom and legally allows for conversation which allows for open door for spread of the gospel and I would like like to use these moments for groups when they see these villages so they stretch their hands and towards Lebanon and all of them to pray for peace and the protection over the borders of Israel and I love to do this when I see people praying the body of Christ believers to pray against the spiritual warfare and the darkness and the conflict and this is so much meaningful and powerful to build on all these prayers that many pilgrims come from all over the world just to pray for the peace and the group loved it too so we all stretch our hands and start praying for Lebanon and I tell the people feel free to pray and we need you we need you to pray here and now you see it you learned about it and you understand it more I know the conflict is so complicated and but pray in faith for the Holy Spirit to come over these Lebanese villages and have protections for the Christians who live there and for them their eyes to be opened and to know their Messiah to know and have a personal relationship with Jesus and Lebanon needs a lot of prayers I so much rejoice from my heart when I see groups really praying from their hearts evangelical churches that come here 
and be part of the solution and to pray for the land of Israel, to pray for the protections of the borders, to pray for the also Israel, to pray for the army, to pray for the soldiers, for protection against the enemy. And this makes my heart rejoices because we are expanding the power of the kingdom of heaven today in the land between the people of God. And this will encourage the groups because they have done some ministry and they got involved in praying for the borders. Next, we're going to continue back to the bus and back drive through road number 99 to the east. And we are heading to the archaeological site Tel Dan.